just about mid 2011, I was I was leaving command. I just taken over a position, a great job at the Naval Academy, a two year position there, and I had a lot more free time than I did on my submarine, as you can imagine. And I was searching for uh, a way to to shift active income into passive. You know, I'd, I'd read Robert Kiyosaki's books over the years. I really just, I mean, they just spoke to me. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad and and most of the others, you know, his prophecy, it all just made a lot of sense to me. So I was looking for, you know, following his model of of shifting into, you know, passive cash flow income. And I'm a mechanical engineer and the thing that made most sense to me, you know, not buying the coin laundry machine, although I think that that facility may be a great idea too. But for me it was about real estate and, and buildings and so I was looking into that. You happened to have a great podcast and I, I started listening in the teens, I think it was, and I've certainly listened to all of them. And I just have kind of become a junkie of that. I, you know, so I got my first property in the end of 2011 in St. Louis. I bought a few more there. Um, I'm up to eight, and my wife Susan is today. In fact, we'll we'll get her first three, and we'll she'll be at six by the uh, end of this month. And hopefully, if if all goes well, we'll have Susan topped out, and then we'll go back and start focusing on Gary again. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1245, 1245. We've got a jam-packed episode today, so let's dive right in. Got Doug here, and we're going to talk about that famous investor. Yes, you've heard his name, of course, the Oracle of Omaha, as they call him, Warren Buffett. But what does he think about real estate? And specifically, what does he think about what he calls the best financial instrument in the world? Doug, do you think Warren Buffett's listening to our podcast? I think he might be. Yeah. I think he might be a closet real estate junkie, just like you. Yeah, yeah. Except you're not in the closet. No, I'm, I'm way out of the closet on the real estate thing. The interesting thing is, of course, most everybody listening knows about that rather famous Warren Buffett video from years ago. Maybe we'll actually play a clip from that one, too, where he says he'd buy a couple hundred thousand single family homes if he could figure out a way to manage them. Right. But mm -hmm. here we've got a, a more contemporary video that is interesting as he talks about the 30 year mortgage. Let's listen in. And here they are calling Warren Buffett the Oracle of Real Estate. Warren Buffett is widely known as one of the world's greatest investors. And while you may know him for his prowess in picking companies, it turns out that he's also pretty good at picking real estate. We sat down with him recently and asked him why he's selling his longtime vacation home in Laguna Beach, California. I remember seeing that home that was in uh, Emerald Bay, which is a very exclusive area of uh, Laguna Beach, uh, very, very ritzy area. And uh, I remember his second home there. I saw it several times. For summers, for many years. And then it became much more going there at Christmas for maybe three weeks or so. And the kids would gather, but they couldn't gather for the whole summer as they got to be adults. So it had all these great 
times there. I mean, we, we had we always had people there. But when my wife's first wife died in 2004, at that point, I lost interest in the house. And, and my kids continued to use it to some degree subsequently. But now they've got other interests in terms of vacation spots closer to where they live or something of the sort. So the time has come to sell them. $150,000 to $11 million. That is a phenomenal growth. And as you said, this is just the listing price. And when I bought it for 150, I, I borrowed some money from Great Western Savings and Loan, so I, I probably only had 30,000 of equity in it or something like that. It's, it's the only mortgage I've had for 50 years or something of the sort. But I, uh, I guess I thought interest rates were attractive then or something. <laughs> why did you have a mortgage on it? You didn't need one, even in 1971, did you? Well, why did I have a mortgage on it? Well, I still thought I could probably probably do better with. Uh, the money than have it being all equity purchases of the house. You know that hundred and ten or twenty thousand I borrowed. I, I was buying Berkshire then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, in fact, I was buying Berkshire constantly in the early nineteen seventies. So Berkshire was probably around forty. Then I might have bought three thousand shares of Berkshire or something. And by the way, Doug, I got to mention the house is surprisingly modest compared to some of the other McMansions in Emerald Bay. But he's basically alluding here to how good this financial instrument is, the 30-year mortgage. What do you think? What Warren said that I thought was especially good was that, you know, when you lock in a 30-year mortgage, what you're essentially doing is you're freezing a cost of capital for three decades. So in this case, you know, say, say it was 1971, he bought it at say six and a half percent. I'm just making that up, but it's probably pretty close. Well, well, actually, we we know that the rate was probably about 7.3 percent okay. because that happens to be the time in which we use the example of in the inflation induced debt destruction example, uh, the first true. one we used, right? Remember that's that? Yeah. yeah, I yeah. do remember that. Yeah. But anyway, say 7.3 percent. Well, in that case, if he feels like he can do 10, 12, 14, 18% somewhere else, in his case in Berkshire, then it makes sense to borrow the money at a low rate and then reinvest it at a higher rate because then you get to keep the spread. That's how people get really rich. Right. Definitely playing that arbitrage between that. But again, we're not advising anybody here to do that with the stock market because we don't like the stock market. Now, Warren is an insider in his own business, right? So that's a completely different position than any of us would have as an outsider. He had control over that business and those investments as well. So let's get back to the CNBC video. I got with the proceeds from the loan. So that's $750 million now. <laughs> $750 million yeah, instead from, of putting it into the house. Instead of, yeah, instead of having an all equity purchase, right? What about now? People can get a mortgage for three and a half, four percent 4%. Oh, you get a 30-year mortgage. It's the best instrument in the world because if you're wrong and rates go to 2%, which I don't think they will, but they, uh, you pay it off. I mean, it, it's a one-way renegotiation. I mean, it is it is an incredibly attractive instrument. For the- That's what I always say. You know, with income property, the greatest thing about it is the deal you agree to when you buy it, Doug, is mm-hmm. not the deal you end up with. You can constantly renegotiate the deal along the way. How beautiful is that? It's outstanding. I mean, the thing that's just utterly amazing is that since you have that rate locked in, if rates go up, just keep it. If rates go down, you can refinance. If the market completely crashes and you can't pay, you can go back to the mortgage company and say, hey, I can't pay. Why don't you cut me a deal? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's an incredible instrument. It really is the best instrument going. Homeowner. And uh, you've got a one-way bet. Berkshire can't do that. 
we cannot issue a 30-year bond and have it so we can call it off tomorrow at par. Uh, no, no way. And yet, you as an individual can do it. It's, it's, it's a great instrument. For most people, their home is their most valuable Absolutely. asset. Is that the way it should be? should be for a great many people. If you know you're going to live in a given area, or think it's very likely for a considerable period of time, and you've got a family, I mean, the, the home is terrific. The home I live in now, I bought in 1958 here. And... Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, it's, it's got all kinds of good memories. The kids, it's, it's, it's home to them. It's home to their friends. I mean, it's... His amazingly modest home for the one-time richest man in the world, <laughs> and not too far off from still being the richest man in the world, his home is amazingly, amazingly modest. Doug, any thoughts on that one? The thing that Warren's really, uh, really getting at here that he's kind of um, hinting at but not saying is that even a house that you own where you have to pay the, your own mortgage can still be a really good place to grow levered equity. Because then like, for example, you know, say you decide that you want to go invest in something. Now you can refinance your house and you can tap equity for a very low fixed rate. Now, just think about how much better that deal gets if you're talking about something where somebody else is paying the mortgage. You know, and, and, like, for and, example, and by the way, how do you actually do the math on that? Because the example I give of inflation-induced debt destruction is based on a homeowner, someone living in the property, and how literally over the course of three decades, they got paid to live there. They got paid to borrow the money after inflation and tax benefits. But when you outsource that debt to another party called a tenant, it gets so, so much better, especially if you have some positive cash flow and you get depreciation tax benefits. What an amazing, amazing instrument. Warren's just talking about the flat idea. I'll call it the flat idea of a 30-year mortgage on your home. And that's mm -hmm. pretty darn good. But on a rental property, on an income property, it just becomes exponentially better, doesn't it? It does. Well, and here's something to think about for comparison, because as real estate investors, we're used to seeing things like, you know, 15, 20, 25 percent, 30 percent ROI. You know, when you're talking about, say, pension funds that are diversified between equity and debt investments, I think the long term treasuries right now are going off at, I think, a yield of 2 percent. So, you know, you'll get a risk premium if you're talking corporates of maybe a half point. If you go down to B's, you might get another half point on top of that. So let's say it's about three, three and a half percent on bonds. And then the equity side of the, uh, you know, I say it averages 8%, but the range is, you know, from like, say, plus 20 to minus 15%. And so the, the whole thing is that, right, you know, pension funds are struggling to get an 8% blended rate of return. And so the thing is, you know, if you can generate better than that, really from doing nothing, it's kind of a no-brainer. I think that, you know, what Warren's favorite business models are things that require no intelligence or direct action is stuff that's as simple as humanly possible and, you know, capitalizes on doing nothing. Yep, absolutely. That's for sure. So, Doug, the famous video that every real estate promoter has used ad nauseum is mm -hmm. this one. If I had a way of buying a couple hundred thousand single-family homes and... I, and I had a way of managing. The management is enormous. It was really a problem because they're one by one. They're not like apartment houses. So, but 
I would load up on them, and I would I would take mortgages out at very very low rates. But but uh, if if anybody is thinking about buying homes five years ago, they couldn't buy them fast enough because they thought they were going to go up, and now they don't buy them because they think they're going to go down. And interest rates are far lower. Uh, it's a way, in effect, to short the dollar because you can you can take a thirty year mortgage, and if it turns out your interest rates too high next week, you refinance lower, and if it turns out it's it's too low, the other guy's stuck with it for thirty years. Well, there's more shorting the dollar than that. It's the inflation-induced yeah. debt destruction. Isn't that really just shorting the dollar? Exactly. Yeah, that was actually my favorite part of that video. Is that you know Warren correctly sees that having that long-term war, uh, mortgage essentially gives you the option to short the dollar. Yeah. Good point. It's a very attractive asset class now. If you are a young individual investor at home and you have your choice between buying your first home or investing in stocks, where would you tell someone is the better well, bet? If I thought I was going to live, if I knew where I was going to want to live the next five or ten years, I would buy, I would buy a home and I'd finance it with a thirty-year mortgage, and, and uh, it's a terrific deal. And if I literally, if I was an investor that was a handy type, which I'm not, <laughs> and I could buy a couple of them at distressed prices and, and find renters, uh, I think that's uh, and, and and again take a thirty-year mortgage. It's it's a, a leveraged way of owning a very cheap asset now, and, and no, I, I think I think that's probably as attractive an investment as you can make. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And uh, even though, uh, you know, that video was from a few years back, you know, that's still great advice as long as you're buying in conservative, prudent, linear markets. That's the stipulation. All and of as advice, long as you're willing to wait. Yeah. And as long as you're willing to be a buy and hold investor. But if you're doing that in a cyclical market or even a scary hybrid market, which isn't nearly as scary as those crazy cyclical markets, you could get yourself into trouble. So that's the key. You know, you can't say real estate as though it's one single entity. You've got to really define it by the market. Doug, any take home uh, other take home points for investors? I think one of the things that I've heard from a few conversations with people lately is that, you know, a lot of people feel like the market's starting to get overvalued, which they may be right. And a lot of people are kind of thinking, okay, you know what, I just want to wait for things to feel more like they were in 2008. And then I'll come in and scoop up all the deals. Yeah, everybody starts to feel that way, including yours truly, but I hopefully rightly correct myself from that thinking. <laughs> but what were you going to say? Well, the thing to think about is that I go, okay, well, because, you know, I thought that in 2010. And it's been now almost a full decade of a really big run that I largely missed out on because I thought the market was going to double dip. I thought there was going to be a double dip recession. And you know the thing is, right? You, you didn't completely waiting. miss out on it. I didn't, you didn't. You just didn't buy miss as out. much as you should have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just didn't buy as much as I should have. Yeah. yeah, I I think of it in terms of I think in terms of opportunity cost, yeah. not just accounting. But the big thing is that we don't know how much longer the run is going to run, and we don't know how deep it's going to fall when it falls. My guess is it probably won't fall as much as 2008 because that was a second time in a century kind of situation. Most likely, the next pullback a won't be led by real estate. 
and B won't be quite as severe because you're not going to have a deleveraging of the entire financial system. Even as as much as things are levered up, I don't think you're at the point where you're going to have a broad scale deleveraging. I think you're going to have a whole bunch of defaults in auto loans. You're going to have a whole bunch of defaults in student loans. You're going to have a lot of defaults in in personal credit, and you're going to have a lot of defaults in small business credit. But none of those things are going to be big enough to where they're going to create a broad deleveraging spiral. And so in that case, then let's say the train runs another couple of years or so. Okay, so you know, say you pick something up and it goes up at say 4% a year, and then goes down 5%. Okay, well, and for two years, increase 4%, increase 4%, down 5%. You're still ahead and you've been making cash flow this whole time and you're amortizing out the mortgage. As long as you buy something that's sensible, your timing really isn't that important. No, that's the key thing. And you're amortizing down the mortgage, really, your tenants are doing that for you, the big boring idea. But not only that, and this is what everybody forgets in the simpleton math that the mainstream people of the world do, right? Not our listeners, because our listeners get it. But the simpleton math is, well, I'm just going to keep my powder dry. I'm going to wait. And when prices go down 20%, I'm going to scoop up deals like crazy. But what they forget is, well, number one, nobody's good at timing the market. But let's assume they are, right? Let's assume they are. Give them that and say that they can do that. But they lose the return while waiting for the decline, You know, assuming you could time the market perfectly, which nobody can, you lose that return for the next two or three years waiting. That's the huge part that people don't calculate. Think about it. If you're going to get 20% annually on an income property investment, and that's because it's a multidimensional asset class that's not return on cash flow, that's overall return on investment, go to jasonhartman.com, click on the property section, look at the performance, watch the video on the front page, understand how that's calculated. Really, if you just watch that 27-minute video, It'll make you a great investor. That, more than anything, sums it up, okay? And so you're going to lose that 20% for two years waiting, and then say you time the market perfectly and prices are down by 20%. Well, why did prices go down? Well, maybe interest rates are higher. And so now you're paying a higher rate for the privilege of having the lower price. And you might be right. Maybe the prices will go down. I, you know, certainly there are cycles. There's no question about that. And we are late in this cycle. These conservative linear markets, they don't have the big swings. You'd have to time it perfectly. You'd lose the return on the way in. Let me actually amp it up even more because you're saying maybe the interest rates will be higher. Maybe what if the interest rates are exactly the same? The current run goes on two more years and then prices go down 20%. Okay, well, if you'd been in now, you would have two years at a 20% ROI to increase cash and equity. And so you would actually still be better off buying now, even if prices are going to go down 20% in two years. Right. I agree. (laughs) And, And this is the problem of this wrong thinking of waiting for the deal. Now, if you were strictly a cash buyer, right? Say you're a cash buyer now and you're going to be a cash buyer at the lowest part of the market, at the trough. If you're a cash buyer both times, then the stuff we're talking about right now does become less pronounced. But even still, 
even still, you'd probably be better off buying now just because of the risk of not timing that market right. There were a lot of people in 2014, as we were coming out of the Great Recession, we were coming out of it for, you know, the prior four years, for example. And, Mm -hmm. And by 2014, tons of people we're saying things like, you know, I think it's too high now. I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait till the next cycle and the crash, and then I'm going to scoop up deals. And now here we are five years after that. Yeah. <laughs> and those people, maybe they've been keeping their powder dry for the last five years, right? Market timing is a fallacy. <laughs> and I think one of the things that you hit on is that so market timing is only really meaningful if you're buying for all cash. So, you know, if you're an all cash, all the time buyer. It is more meaningful. That is true. Then maybe try to really study up and figure out how to time the market. But if you're not buying with cash, and if you're employing the multidimensional aspects, then as long as you're buying things that are sensible, you don't really need to worry about where in the cycle you're at. Because it's actually not going to make as much of a difference as you might think. Yeah, I agree. Because, well, yeah, because time will actually make far more of a difference than your acquisition price. And that leads me to one of my sayings I've repeated often. Time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. And so if you buy the sensible properties, you have sustainable investments, you can stay in the game, right? Then you can make it to the next cycle, no matter what happens. So good stuff. Doug, thanks for joining me on this. And uh, listeners, happy investing to all. Check out jasonhartman.com for more. That video on the front page of our website, really an excellent thing. You should review it every six months or so. If you're a regular listener, it's Wouldn't be bad to listen to that video again. Check out the properties section to look at detailed performas with all the good specs on these properties. Until next time, happy investing. Happy investing. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.